You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning. Open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue in our series, Redemption, God's Great Plan. And uh, today's message is about calling and the calling of God in our lives. This uh, whole series is to help us to understand all that God has done in his great plan. Soteriology, we'll see in just a moment, is what the plan of salvation, the work of salvation is. And all that God has done and to be overwhelmed by his goodness and his faithfulness and his love and his power and it's all coming over the next few weeks. Um, You know, this book that I hold in my hand is a theology book. It's a book filled with theology. But it's not a systematic theology book. Um, I've got a picture up on the screen, or going to come up on the screen, I hope. Um, And these were some ones I pulled off of my shelf the other day. And and these are books that uh, take the scriptures, take the word of God, and help us to understand specific things in it. And so they take the word of God, and then we'll call it systemize it, so that we can understand some things. And uh, the Bible's filled with different studies that are are done like this. You don't need to write these down, but just uh, you're aware of them. Uh, There would be um, books written on the study of theology proper. It's the doctrine of God. Uh, There are books that are written on angelology and it takes all that's in scripture and kind of pulls it together and puts it in order. Everything you ever want to know about angels and demons. Uh, There's a study of anthropology, the the doctrine of man. And, And so guys write, they take the scriptures, they study them and they pull out what's the study of man. There's the study of bibliology and that's inspiration and inerrancy and uh, the preservation of Scripture and the canonicity of the Bible. There's the study of Christology and so the weaving of Christ all the way through the Bible is the study of Christology and they pull that all together and put it in a book. There's the study of ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church and then there's the study of eschatology. The study of eschatology, millions of books on the market for the study of eschatology. It's the study of end times and uh, when will the Lord come back and will be before the tribulation in the middle of the tribulation after the tribulation or when will the Lord come back eschatology the study of homardiology is the doctrine of sin and the taking scripture and just trying to find they just bring that all together in the study of sin or the study of pneumatology which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Well this summer we're really working our way through the study of soteriology which is the study of salvation and God's amazing plan. God's great plan. And so today we want to talk about the calling of God. And uh, we'll find the foundation from that, from Ephesians 1. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read from his word. Starting at verse 3, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we hold in your hands, we hold in our hands your, your word, your powerful word. It's sharp, it cuts, it teaches. And Lord, I pray that we would receive it today, willing to hear what your word says And Father, as we consider the working of our salvation, the calling in our lives, oh God, would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and then hearts, God, to passionately, passionately live out for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. As we consider this picture of redemption, Uh, the work of God and the reality of our salvation, this calling of God, we want to first of all understand uh, it was required because of man's condition. The calling that we're going to learn about is required because of man's condition. Uh, Three weeks ago, as we did an introduction to this series, we talked about the reality of sin and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But but like three things about that. The first thing was the the reality that uh, we're all born in sin. And we're all sinners. There isn't anybody who's righteous. Adam and Eve sinned and there is this biblical concept and truth. It's called original sin. It says in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. There's original sin found back in the garden and not only is there original sin, but that sin was put on us. It was imputed sin. Uh, the sin of Adam is put on all mankind. And there is no one who's without excuse. There is no one who is righteous. It was Adam's sin put on us. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, original sin, and death through sin, and so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. That's imputed sin. But even if you struggle with those two things, which are, to me are so obvious in Scripture and so basic in Scripture, there's the reality of individual and personal sin. And we know we are sinners. You don't have to really look too hard into your life to see the inconsistencies and the cheating or the lying or the stealing or the bad attitude or the bitterness or the gossip or the, it's there, it's there. It's there because it's been there from just after creation, but it's there because you're a sinner. It's your sinner. And the calling of God is necessary, required because of man's condition. Man's condition is that we are dead. You're dead. 
Ephesians 2. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. The scripture uh, defines us in a number of ways. It says uh, you're dead. Another way it, it pictures us, it says that you are, are blind and are blind people. You cannot see. And so even the things that, uh, that God is revealing that in his salvation, you, you don't have the ability to see them. You're dead and you're blind and you're lost. And those are just three of pictures that we would see in scripture as we understand man's condition. But the second thing we want to see is this, this calling is established in God's grace. It's established in God's grace. It's seen all throughout the scriptures, right? From Genesis, even Genesis 3.15 talks about the hope that's going to come and, and that there's going to be a victory over the evil one. And, and then there's this um, idea of grace, two things about grace you want to know. There's this idea of common grace. Common grace is a thing that everybody experiences. Everybody experiences common grace. It's most obviously seen in creation. And we look around us and you look and you see the skies and you see the clouds and you see the stars and the, the thunder and the lightning and you, you see the creation of God. You go like two hours north of here and you see the beauty of God and his creation and the lakes and, and the majesty of what God has made. You go out west and you see God and the majesty of the mountains and what he has made. You, you put on your snorkel and you get in the Caribbean and you see the majesty of what God has made in the oceans and, and God has revealed himself in what is called common grace. Everybody gets to see it. Everybody gets to see it. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And so we look and we see God in common grace and believers see it and non-believers see it and it brings us, it should bring us to see the glory of God who created all of it. It's a common grace is seen in the physical realm, also in our intellect and science and in technology, but common grace does not save anyone. Common grace can't save you. There's not enough information in common grace. It's there for everyone to see and everyone to understand, but it won't save you. It demonstrates God's glory. It demonstrates him as the creator. And that's what common grace does. And then there's what we call saving grace. Now this would be best established and thought about as you think about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. Not common grace. Not the making of the skies and the, the creation. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that nobody can boast. This is the grace of God that's been poured out on us. His unmerited favor poured out on us in Jesus Christ. This is what God has done for us and his grace poured out to blind, dead lost people who can't fix and solve their problem because it's too great. It's an eternal issue and God pours his grace out on us and by faith we receive that and we are saved. It's a picture of saving grace. A quote up on the screen that uh, John Murray, who wrote the book Redemption, Accomplished and Applied, he said this, the uh, magnitude of grace, of the grace, enhances the obligation. The magnitude of the grace enhances the obligation. Now what's he saying? He's talking about the fact of what Christ has done in our salvation. When you take hold of it, as we go through this study this summer and you look and see how awesome the work of God is in your salvation, it enhances your, now, your obligation now to live out for his glory to see him on the throne, to want to be about God first in your life. It doesn't enhance your obligation to try and get saved. 
That's done through Jesus Christ. We receive it by faith, turning in repentance. But when you take hold of who Jesus is, when you wake up in the morning, that sense of, I want to live for the glory of the one who saved me, should overwhelm all of us. It's required by, the calling's required by man's condition. It's established in God's grace. And uh, here's the next thing. It's based on God's omniscience. It's based on God's omniscience. The calling of God in your life, and we're going to come and see this in just a moment, what, how this kind of rolls out now in our lives. It, it really comes out based in God's omniscience. I, I could have picked God's omnipotence because um, all the characteristics of God, all of the character traits of God, but this one that God knows, that God knows to me is the one that best shows this as an example for us. Um, it's part of the reason I had Daniel for the last two weeks talk about the glory of God. Um, first week he talked about God in his story and we, he tracked that from creation right through the, to the book of Revelation. What an amazing responsibility I gave him to uh, take. And okay, here's what I want you to do. I want to explain to the people the whole Bible in 42 minutes, okay? And, uh, and so you could spend the rest of your life doing that, right? And uh, he did a great job doing that. And then uh, last week, so that was about the story. And then this last week was about the glory of God. And uh, so that we would understand God in our salvation and get a better picture of him. Because unless you have a grasp, some kind of grasp on who God is and what he's done, you won't appreciate and understand what he's done even in your salvation. And so uh, the week before that was, uh, we talked about the attributes of God, the ones that, that we work at, the ones that are communicable attributes, the ones that we model or mimic um, and then we talked about the incommunicable attributes of God, like immutability, he doesn't change, he's infinite, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, he is omniscient. He knows everything. God has perfect and complete knowledge, he knows everything. Well, based on God's omniscience then, what does our calling look like? What does it mean? And there's some words that you see in Scripture that, quite frankly, cause some angst for people. Words like uh, foreknown, uh, predestined, um, elect. Those are words. And they're in Scripture. And they're taught in Scripture. And I 100% believe them because they're taught in Scripture. Uh, they cause us a little bit of angst because we live in a world where I get to choose what I want. I get to do what I want. I get to pick. I get to decide. And when it comes to our salvation, God uses different words. He uses words because of who his character is and who he is and his omniscience. And these words are tied to the character of God. Uh, they're tied to uh, his omniscience. We live in a world that's filled with my rights and our selfishness and self-centeredness. And, and God says, I've made some choices. I've made some choices. This isn't a New Testament principle. For those who will wrestle with this, and we'll all wrestle with it to a certain extent, there's Old Testament principles in this as well. For instance, um, in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, God chose a people. He didn't choose all the peoples. He chose our people. Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God chose. God made a decision. 
and it was right, and it was righteous. Another picture in the New Testament taken from the Old Testament in Romans 9, 13 to 16. It says, as it is written, Jacob I loved. We like that part. Esau I hated. God chose. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Remember, you're dead without Christ. You're blind without Christ. You're lost without Christ. And there's nothing you can do to fix this problem. But God. But God. Well, does the Bible actually teach the things you're saying? These words like elect and predestined and foreknowledge and, well, yeah, it does. We already saw them in Ephesians. I'm going to read them again. They're verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him love he predestined us he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will in Romans 8 28 and 30 uh, great verses it says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. glorified. That's, 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 the, that's the picture of the working of God in, in the beginning, in the calling. is all about what God does and what he does for us. The person who says, I found Jesus, didn't find Jesus. Jesus found them. Jesus found them. And that might have been your experience. You're walking along one day and all of a sudden a crisis hits and, and all of a sudden now circumstances come together and all of a sudden you're now drawn to Christ and all of a sudden you're sitting in a church and all of a sudden you're standing at the front and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you think, look what I did. No, you didn't. God did. He began the work. He was the one who flicked the switch on. And you responded, and we're going to see that when we come to the message on conversion about what our part is in this and what we do. But we must never forget the awesome work of God that would bring us to the place where we would even trust God. We are enemies of God. We are dead. We are blind. And we are lost. The doctrine of election, by definition, is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved. And not account of, on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Well, the, good, the New Testament teaches it. It's clearly taught in the New Testament. But there's something I want you to see that's very, very, very important. Because all I've said, right now it sounds pretty heavy. It's like, Pastor, couldn't you have done some light? It's the summertime. Well, we don't want to learn about our salvation. We want to learn about what God's done for us. And Here's one of the coolest things about these words when you see them in Scripture and the context. Because context is always so important, right? We talk about that all the time around here. And so as you take a look at the verses in Ephesians and you take a look at the verses in Romans, these, these verses are given in a context for believers 
as a comfort for them. It's given as a comfort for them. So when you're going through the difficult time, when you think you're, you can't go one more day, is to know that you, God chose you. God did this before the foundation of the world. I'm not softening the decision God made. I'm just saying that's the context in which, in which it is written. As he's writing to the Ephesians, he's talking about how amazing the working of God is. He's writing to people who are already believers. It's a, a great comfort. It's a, also a reason to praise God because it puts him on the throne. It gets our priorities right about who he is. It gets our focus up on the king of kings. It's a reason to praise God, and then it's also an encouragement to our evangelism. Every time I stand up here and preach, somewhere in this sermon, I've already kind of done it already in this message, and we'll do it again, we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his work in coming and dying for a saving world, and it's because you need a savior, and Jesus Christ is that savior, and you put your faith and trust in him. I gotta tell you, it would be a horrific responsibility if somehow it was on me to see people saved. It's on me to be faithful. It's on you to be faithful. It's on me to present the gospel clearly. It's on you to present the gospel clearly to your friend and your neighbor and your family and your co-worker. It's on us, but it's not ours to save anyone. That's the working of God. That's what he does. You can't fix this problem for yourself. You sure can't fix it for anyone else. And so these words are also then to give us comfort to be faithful. We uh, talked with a, a lady last night who just uh, lost a family member. And as far as she knows, that person had never trusted Christ. But what she also knew, this was the cool part in talking with her, she knew she had done everything she could. She presented the gospel she had prayed for them. She had been faithful. And so she could be comforted in knowing that she did what God had asked her to do. And so these words are used in Scripture as a comfort. They're used to bring us to praise God and to encourage us in our evangelism. But because of the society we live in, somehow we want to kind of water these words down and not make them say what they actually say in Scripture. And so, you know, sometimes people would say, well, no, God, in his foreknowledge, they choose one of the words, and they say, God, in his foreknowledge, he already knows, because he's God, he already knows the decision that you're going to make down here. And so it's not like he really chose you in that sense. But he already knows what you're going to do down here, and therefore he foreknows. Well, that's an interesting thing. It's just not what the word means, and it's certainly not what the word predetermined means, and it's certainly not what the word elect means. If, if God somehow knows down here you're going to have faith, well, now your works are getting into your salvation. This is all about what God does. It's all about the way that he works. Scripture never speaks of our faith as the reason that God chooses us. But God chooses us because he does. Election is based, election that's based on something in our faith is beginning a salvation by, by merit. Um, predestination or foreknowledge still uh, doesn't give um, people a free choice because if God looked into the future and sees belief, then it's absolutely certain it's going to happen anyways. So it, it, it doesn't really make any sense. But it's part of the challenge we face because we live in this world of we want to be in control and, and we want to make our decisions and I want to choose God. I want to choose God. Another one of the struggles would be around the area about what's well, not really a real choice. Or aren't we kind of really just kind of like robots? Um, 
I'm here to tell you this. If you ever really figure this out 100%, then come and explain it to me. Okay, there's no question that there's a mystery here. I, I love the illustration that somebody used. It's like the, uh, the gate, you know, the gate on the narrow way. It's like on the one side it says, whosoever will may come. But then when you get on the other side of the gate and you turn around and you look, it says, known in him before the foundation of the world. There is a tension. And anybody who doesn't live in the tension a little bit just, I think, is in denial of just our hearts and our struggle and what we wrestle through. There's no question. It's a, it's a tension, but it's a, it's a truth that God teaches. Some, some would say, yeah, you don't really get to make a choice. Well, the scriptures say that the decision is a real choice, and therefore we have to make it. Some would say, but isn't, isn't then the choosing of God, isn't the calling of God on some people, isn't it unfair? Isn't it unfair? Um, I used to tell my kids, life's not fair. Um, isn't it unfair? Fair. What would be fair? What would be fair is that every one of you goes to hell. That's what would be fair. See, when you frame the question wrong, when you start at the wrong place, you end up with the wrong answer. If God was truly fair, we would all be going to hell. There'd be none who are saved. Like it said like this, what is amazing is not that God doesn't save everyone, is that God saves anyone. That's what's amazing. That God would actually, in our blindness and hatred and death, and lostness, that God would actually save anyone. Anyone is a miracle of God's grace and his mercy. You see, the work of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, was sufficient to cover all sin. It was sufficient to cover all sin. But it's efficient in those that God has chosen. It's efficient in those who Pray in repentance and faith and trust Jesus Christ. That's the working of our God. You say, Pastor, do you have a verse for this? You know that whenever I say that, I have a verse, right? So uh, here's a great verse for you. 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, sufficient, especially to those who believe efficient. And this really brings us to kind of coming to the understanding then. So what is this calling of God? See, what I want you to get today, what I want you to see is that man is a mess. God is filled with grace. He is on the throne. He is the one who chooses and he calls those whom he decides to call. Well, pastor, like when you're preaching, like, do you know who? No, I don't know. And so I'm preaching like everybody in the room is going to be called because I don't know. Uh, the work of Jesus Christ is sufficient for everyone in the room, but it'll only be efficient for those who trust Jesus Christ, uh, those who are called. God's, uh, the next point we want to see in our message is it's accomplished in God's working. Now this is the doctrine or the theology in our salvation of the call of God. Um, so we have this work before the foundation of the world. We have this calling of God. In the next two weeks, we're going to see the work of regeneration. And then we're going to see the work uh, where we come to the place of trusting Christ. 
Um, and then how God works then out our salvation in the rest of the summertime. But this is this part where God calls us. And, and there's two parts to the calling of God in your life. And there's this part that they call, we call the gospel call or the universal call or the external call. It's a general indiscriminate call that goes out to everyone. Everyone you ever talk to as a friend and you share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it goes to them. It goes to everyone who sits in this room every week when we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a general call. It's a gospel call. It's a universal call. It's an explanation of the facts concerning salvation. All have sinned. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin. It's an exp explanation concerning salvation. It's an invitation to respond to Christ personally in repentance and faith. And it's a promise of forgiveness and eternal life. And that's what we are all called. I'm called to do when I preach. I'm called to do it when I live out my faith. You're called to do it in your lives. We're called to be giving a general, a universal call. And we do that today with the challenge for anybody in the room who's never trusted Christ. Consider the claims of Christ. Consider what he did. Consider his death, his burial, his resurrection so that you could have eternal life. And you go, how do I know if I'm chosen? You know you're chosen by what God is doing in your heart right now. There's a general, a universal call. But then there's what is called an effectual call or an internal call. And this is the part that God does. And this is the part that God does. John 6, 44 says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to me unless the Father who, unless the Father who sent me draws him. The difference between the gospel call and the effective call is the gospel call is what we do. It's man's action. It's offered to all people. It's often rejected. But it is the means by which God works in the effective call. And when God works in the effective call, it's God's action. It's specific. It's internal. And here, here, here. And it's always effective. If God calls you, you will be saved. It's always, always effective. What I do won't always be effective. What God does will always be effective. Here's another quote I found by a guy named Thomas Watson. It says this, The inward call is when God wonderfully overpowers the heart and draws the will to embrace Christ. I like this next part. God, by the outward call, blows a trumpet in your ear. By the inward call, he opens your heart. The outward call is us. Ours, that's our responsibility. That's God. It, it, we're blowing a trumpet. We're blowing a trumpet. Let people know you must be born again. You must be born again. The inward call is when God opens your heart. And when God opens your heart, this is a calling that comes from God. Here's some things about that calling. I see them in your notes. Here's the first one. that God is the author of this call. 
God is the author of this call. We already saw that in John 6, uh, verse 44. But he's not the author in the sense of writing down ideas. Like I read lots of books, and some of them, like say, guys are stealing ideas from everybody else. And it's like, you're just a writer. You're an author. You write things down. You see a need, and you write a book. But probably nothing in the book is actually brand new with you. After all, the Bible says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes 1.9. And, and so that concept of an author is uh, what we see in most of the things that are written today. Even the theology books I showed you the picture of the beginning. Somebody else has said that probably 200 years earlier. This guy just wrote another book. And... Uh, when we think about God as the author, it brings more. That word means more than that. It means he establishes. He establishes it. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Timothy 1.8 and 9 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, and nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Not because of our works, not because of who we are, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. He is the author in the sense that he establishes it, and he is the agent of it. It's by him. And Romans 8 verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God is the author. Um, and then there's the nature of this call. This, uh, this idea of the calling, this word means a summons, a summons to appear. Now, in the court system today, if you watch cop shows, people don't show up, and then they have a warrant put out against them because they don't go, right? Now, this word is much stronger than that. This word of calling, this word of summons, is that God brings you and he delivers you. He delivers you. Um, and so this is the idea that we have in the calling that God is the author, the author and the nature of this call, that it's a high and holy calling from God himself, and he delivers you. Um, and the pattern of this call is that, um, you know, whenever you build something, you make a pattern. You have a drawing, you take it to the town, you have to get approval or whatever. You have this plan that's set out. And, and the working of God in the calling in our lives, it also has a pattern. It has a pattern with a purpose, your salvation. It is a plan that's eternal. And it's a plan that's centered around Jesus Christ. That's God's working. That's his calling. And he did it in your life. And when you trusted Jesus Christ, you were fulfilling the things that God was already doing to save you from before the foundation of the world. How awesome is that of what God has done? And then the priority of the call is that by it, by this calling, you have new life. You're a new creation. By this calling, you have a changed heart. The old is gone. The new has come. By this calling, you have a bent. You have now a desire that moves towards holiness and godliness in your life. And, and by this calling, you have a love toward God that was once hatred and blindness and lostness. And, and now is a love for the God who reached out and saved you. And you are justified and one day you will be glorified because of the working of God and the calling in your life. Well, the next and last point in the message is that it's received in regeneration and conversion. And I'm not really going into those points today because we're going to look at those the next two weeks. We're going to talk about the fact that God regenerates us. 
And I believe God regenerates us before we have repentance and faith. But I also believe that all three of these things happen like this. It's like this. God doesn't call you and six months later you get around to trusting Jesus. The moment God calls you, you get saved. You see a journey of all of this, but the calling of God is tied directly to your regeneration, which when God makes us alive and new, if you want a definition of that, and then, and then there's the conversion, which is the part we're going to come to, that we have in our salvation. We don't work for it, we don't earn it, but we do come to this place of conversion, and conversion happens through repentance and faith. We have an amazing God who loved us and poured himself out for us. We have a, a God who has a great plan for our redemption, and so so what? So what? You know that quote, the very first one I gave you? The magnitude of the grace enhances the obligation. The magnitude of the grace, the magnitude of the understanding of what God has done, the magnitude of the working of God and his mercy and his love for you, it magnifies for us our obligation to live for him. And so that's the so what for the people who are in the room who've trusted Jesus Christ. God's working in your salvation should be every morning when you get up. It's pinch me with, oh my goodness, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a child of the King. I will live for his glory because of all that he has done for me in my salvation. He chose me. He called me. I am saved. How awesome is that? your child of the king. Now live for his glory. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, this is the day to believe and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God loved the world so much. His work was sufficient for all. sufficient for those who believe. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never trusted Christ, this is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What an amazing work by an amazing God. We deserve nothing. And he gave us his son that we might have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for how it stirs our heart. We thank you for the truths that we have heard today. And Father, we quite frankly, we don't understand it all. Some of it's a mystery to us. And yet, Lord, it's in your word, so we will trust it. We will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, knowing we don't save anyone, but you save those who you would. But Lord, to think that I am a child of the King is an overwhelming thought. So based on the working of Jesus Christ in your grace to me, Teach me, God, to live out with a sense of complete obligation to live for the glory of my Savior. God, do that work in all of us. And the person who's in the room who's never trusted Christ, would this be the day that they would turn in repentance and faith and trust Jesus as Savior? We pray these things in his name.